When they locked out men at Homestead, then they were face to face with a grasping corporation and they knew it was their place to protect their homes and families. And this was neatly done. And the public will reward them for the victory they won. We have to tell the truth about labor history, the good and the bad and the other. That's AFL-CIO Secretary-Treasurer Frederick D. Redmond, one of the nation's most forceful and articulate advocates for progressive labor policies and inclusion-oriented economic growth. Redmond is the highest-ranking African-American officer in the annals of the American labor movement. He spoke on why labor history is important at the annual member meeting of the Battle of Homestead Foundation on January 23rd this year. The foundation is a diverse organization of citizens, workers, educators, and historians. Their purpose is to memorialize the dramatic labor conflict of the 1892 Battle of Homestead which took place just outside Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and to clarify the consequences that remain with us today. Redmond talks about that historic Battle of Homestead. These are moments that are important in our history and in our nation's history, because the fact of the matter is they're intertwined. And he connects that history to our lives today. Today's robber barons have blamed workers for inflation while their companies continue to make record profits. Making good on his promise to tell the truth about the good, the bad, and the ugly of our own history, Redmond recalls the night in 2019 during the height of the Black Lives Matter protests. In 2019, the AFL-CIO headquarters was burnt. It was burnt. It was down for a year. And you may recall that night when the 45th president of the United States came across Lafayette Park, which is right down the street from our headquarters, stood in front of the church, which is on the corner of our headquarters, held the Bible upside down. Y'all recall that night? And as the military pushed back under this president's orders to protesters and dispersed them, AFL-CIO headquarters was burnt. The lobby was destroyed. And I never forget the next day I got a call from Rich Trumpka. And Trumpka asked me, say, Fred, what do you think is the problem? Why would they attack our building? And I had to remind Rich of that labor history. You can't deny that history. That history tells us that 1959, a. Philip Randolph, the only African-American on AFL-CIO Executive Council, he spoke and he addressed the AFL-CIO delegates at the convention, and he pleaded with those delegates that we cannot continue to deny Blacks in the South the opportunity to join the union. Is that we have to be a united labor movement. And George Meany, who was the president of the AFL-CIO looked at Mr. Randolph and told the audience, well, who made you the spokesman for the Negro? And sat A. Philip Randolph down. As Redmond says, that's our history and we have to be real. 
And you'll hear more of those hard truths on today's show. I'm Chris Garlock, and this is Labor History Today. Welcome to the Battle of Homestead Foundation's 2023 annual meeting. I'm John Hare, president of the board. We're super honored to hear from one of American Labor's top officers, former steelworker and United Steelworkers VP for Human Affairs and now National AFL-CIO Secretary Treasurer, Frederick Redmond. Brother Redmond will discuss the role of labor history in the making of what we hope will be, as he calls it, a mighty force for change. I am a proud steel worker. I got my start at local 3911 at Reynolds Aluminum on the south side of Chicago. And nearly, it was nearly 25 years ago when I accepted a job at the Steelworkers International and moved to Pittsburgh. And one of my roles when I first came to Pittsburgh, as I said, was uh, in the education department and I conducted training sessions to fellow steelworkers members at, on labor history. And uh, I did that work for four years for the steelworkers education and membership department. And I really enjoyed that work. I really enjoyed it because the labor movement has such a rich history. It's full of moments like the homestead strike and the tragic battle along the Monongahela River. And these are moments that are important in our history and in our nation's history. Because the fact of the matter is they're intertwined. You cannot separate this nation's history from the history of the labor movement. The labor movement's history and the history of our nation goes together. And Mother Jones once said that we should sit down and read and educate ourselves for the coming conflicts. And I agree with Mother Jones because knowing the history of our labor movement and connecting it to our movement today, it can help us better prepare for the coming conflicts. And it can prepare us to fight harder and smarter. But we need to know that history. And that history can also help us today avoid the same pitfalls. You know, when I think about the homestead strike, the homestead strike is more than a pivotal moment in labor history and the history of the steel industry. It's a landmark that was pointing to the future. I mean, when we look at it, 130 years after Homestead. There's the same gross inequality. Economic power is still concentrated in the hands of the few. The Bezos, the Musk, and the Zuckerbergs, they are the new Carnegie's, Rockefellers, and Vanderbilt's. And when we look at that history at Homestead, and we look at our situation today. CEO pay is out of control. Bosses making a day what most of us 
would hope to save in a lifetime. And their greed has no boundaries. Today's robber barons have blamed workers for inflation while their companies continue to make record profits. Think about this. Last year, the average CEO to worker pay ratio of Standard & Poor's S&P 500 companies was 324 to one. In 2020, it was 299 to one. And in 2019, it was 264 to one. So to put a fine point on this, during the pandemic, the ratio between CEO and worker pay jumped 23%. And instead of investing in their workforces by raising wages and keeping the prices of their goods and services in check, these new robber baron solution is to reap record profits from rising prices and cause a recession that puts working people out of our jobs. So the question today is, how do we counter runaway CEO pay? And we know that the answer is a collective bargaining contract because we know that a collective bargaining agreement is the single most powerful tool to make sure all workers are included. It levels the playing field, a collective bargaining contract. It makes sure that workplaces are diverse and accessible, that there is equity in hiring practices, equity in pay and advancement opportunities, and that workers gain the skills needed for the jobs of the day and the jobs of tomorrow. See, there is incredible power in collective bargaining. And the workers at the homestead strike, they knew that. And America's workers are coming to that realization too, today. Labor history is the foundation of the labor movement. And we have to tell the truth about labor history, the good and the bad and the ugly. In 2019, the AFL-CIO headquarters was burnt. It was burnt. It was down for a year. And you may recall that night when the 45th president of the United States came across Lafayette Park, which is right down the street from my headquarters, stood in front of the church, which is on the corner of our headquarters, held the Bible upside down. Y'all recall that night? And as the military pushed back under this president's orders to protesters and dispersed them, the AFL-CIO headquarters was burnt. The lobby was destroyed. And I never forget the next day I got a call from Rich Trumpka. And Trumpka asked me, say, Fred, what do you think is the problem? Why would they attack our building? And I had to remind Rich of that labor history. You can't deny that history. That history tells us that 1959, 
A. Philip Randolph, the only African-American on AFL-CIO Executive Council, he spoke and he addressed the AFL-CIO delegates at the convention. And he pleaded with those delegates that we cannot continue to deny Blacks in the South the opportunity to join the union. Is that we have to be a united labor movement. And George Meany, who was the president of the AFL-CIO, looked at Mr. Randolph and told the audience, well, who made you the spokesman for the Negro? And sat A. Philip Randolph down. And then A. Philip Randolph, along with some of his more progressive allies in the labor movement, Walter Ruther, Sidney Hillman, and others, they got together and they got Meany to invite Martin Luther King to the speak at the AFL-CIO convention two years later in 1961. And Dr. King made a passionate plea for this relationship to develop between the labor movement and the civil rights movement. Dr. King said in that speech, the two greatest movements for social and racial justice is the labor movement and the civil rights movement. And he called for unity within those two movements and called for us to work together. And the audience clapped and they cheered Dr. King. And the next time Dr. King spoke to George Meany was in 1963. And he called George Meany and asked for support on the March on Washington. And George Meany could not get a resolution passed. And the AFL-CIO was not on record for supporting the March on Washington. And Walter Ruther, he raised money and he sent buses all over the country, bringing union members to Washington, D.C. A friend of mine used to be vice president of the auto workers, used to tell me, Fred, the only reason steel workers from Pittsburgh, from Sparrows Point, from Birmingham, got to D.C. was on UAW buses. And Jimmy Suttles was right. We have to be true about our history, the good, the bad, the ugly, because if we're going to go forward as a movement, we have to understand from whence we came. And then Dr. King, as we all know the story, he took his last breath in Memphis, Tennessee, 1968, standing up on behalf of union members. And I read autobiography of, it was not, it wasn't all, it was biography of Ralph Abernathy. And the author said that the most animated that he ever seen Mr. Abernathy was his first call with George Meany. And the conversation and the story goes that Dr. King's people, his aides tried to get him not to go to Memphis because they was working toward the poor people campaign. But Ralph Abernathy said the conversation went something like this. Why are you supporting the labor movement when they did not support us? Now, that's our history, and we have to be real. You see, when Ralph Abernathy became president and led the civil rights movement, they shift their focus. The civil rights community started forming alliances with more progressive unions, not with the AFL-CIO. So we're changing that paradigm. And under the leadership of this president, Leah Shula, you know, we're making remarkable strides. We're working with our partners to improve the lives of all workers in this country, to push 
for meaningful, substantial immigration reform to welcome into our ranks, you know, and work with the LGBTQ plus community and to be partners with the black community throughout this country working with organizations like the Coalition of Black Trade Unions and the Philip Randolph Institute to make sure that the AFL-CIO reconnect those historical organizations with the AFL-CIO to make sure that Dr. King's reality or his dream of a strong coalition between organized labor and civil rights become a reality. Because that's how we change America by bringing our two powerful movements together. And it's our job to show all working people that the labor movement is for everyone, with women and young people and people of color, with everyone, because the labor movement is open to everybody. And with other groups or institutions, we want them to be able to understand that and to say that. In this movement, we accept everybody. And we need everybody. All workers must play a role in pushing our labor movement forward because diversity is our greatest strength. And an educated and engaged membership is our most powerful weapon. So we have to be inclusive and we have to be unified 100%. And we cannot do that without our community partners and our allies and working with organizations like the Battle of Homestead Foundation. So when we are the possibilities of coming together, then organized labor can be a powerful force for justice. And I mean that today, I mean that tomorrow, and I mean that for generations to come.
Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. The year was 1912. The Lawrence, Massachusetts textile workers' strike had worn on for over a month. More than 20,000 workers had walked off the job. Most of them were young women. Nearly half of those on strike had been in the United States less than five years. Each strike communication had to be translated into as many as 25 languages. As often happened at the turn of the 20th century, violence broke out on the picket lines between strikers and the police, with one protester dying from an errant bullet and another losing her life from being stabbed by a soldier's bayonet. Despite these difficulties, the women stayed true to their call for bread and roses. Supported by the industrial workers of the world, textile workers in Lawrence, Massachusetts had walked off the job to protest wage reductions. But they were not only striking for bread, they were also demanding respect and dignity and a better quality of life. They wanted bread, yes, but roses too. As the strike wore on, some of the women decided to send their children out of town and away from the growing danger. In what became known as the children's exodus, more than 100 children were sent to New York City. Upon arrival in Manhattan, the children were greeted by cheering crowds of thousands of supporters. The children's exodus won sympathy for the striking women. In an attempt to stop the news of the strike from spreading, on February 24th, the Lawrence City Marshal decided to stop 46 children from leaving for Philadelphia. Police beat mothers trying to help their children board the train. One woman suffered a miscarriage. Across the nation, people were outraged. Congress launched an investigation into the strike. The bosses had finally gone too far. And on this day in labor history, the striking women finally won most of their demands. And their cry of bread and roses would go on to inspire the labor movement for generations to come. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. Now the man that fights for honor, none can blame him. May luck attend wherever he may roam. And no son of his will ever live to shame him Whilst liberty and honor are on When a band of sturdy working men 
That's it for this week's edition of Labor History Today. You can subscribe to LHT on your favorite podcast app. Even better, if you like what you hear, and which I hope you do, please like it in your podcast app, pass it along, and leave a review. That really helps folks to find the show. Labor History in Two is a partnership between the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. That's a labor-themed radio show out of Pennsylvania. Very special thanks this week to the Battle of Homestead Foundation. Check them out, battleofhomestead.org. Our music today was the Homestead Strike Song, sung by the one and only Seeger, recorded live at the Sanders Theater in Cambridge, Massachusetts in 1980. Labor History Today is produced by the Kalmanovitz Initiative for Labor and Work or at Georgetown University. The Labor History Today team includes Ben Blake, Patrick Dixon, Leon Fink, Sherry Lincoln, Joe McCartan, Evan Papp, Jessica Pozak, and Alan Weirdak. For Labor History Today, this has been Chris Garlock. Thanks for listening. Keep making history. And see you next time. Try both parts. Oh, our liberty and honor. When a bunch of bum detectives came without authority, like thieves at night while decent men were sleeping peacefully. Can you wonder why all honest hearts with indignation burn? And why the worm that treads the ground when trod upon will turn? When they locked out men at Homestead, then they were face to face with a grasping corporation, and they knew it was their place to protect their homes and families. And this was neatly done, and the public will reward them for the victory. They won, and the man that was around.